for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. talking about uh, the ordered life this year, just check, Um, and that's sort of about how the life we choose to live is the life we get. Uh, We've talked about heaps of things like worship and and prayer, uh, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, um, all these things that are aspects of a life that's orientated to God and ordered in the way that he intended. And this has all come from the great commandments, which um, are in Matthew. I'll just read it here. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, So the first half of the year has all been based on that first commandment about loving the Lord with all our heart and all our strength. And now we're on to sort of the second one, which is about loving your neighbor. And so that's why this month we're talking about ordered relationships. Um, And it's really a reflection that Jesus commanded us to love one another. Um, It's a recognition of of how God can use the people in our lives to, to draw us to him. And when I was preparing um, for today and talking about relationships, I was reminded of a verse that I read uh, earlier this year because I, every year I try and, I try and read the, the book of Proverbs. Um, I think it's because all the talk about idiots and fools, it just feels really at home for me that I feel that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I'll just read from uh, Proverbs 14. It says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. Um, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. And I've tried to find an image of big, strong ox to give you the idea. Um, and so this, this sort of the message here is, is talking about uh, farmers who uh, don't employ or didn't employ a big ox. Um, would, things would be a lot more neat, a lot more tidy, a lot more clean. Um, but they would probably not have... The, the abundant harvest, the great reward that would come from using an ox. Now, I'm no farmer, I'm no expert, but I understand that, you know, as it shows in the photo there, an ox would, would pull along a, uh, a thing that would break up the ground and, t- and that sort of allowed uh, seeds to be planted in a, in a sort of better environment for crops to grow. Um, but obviously... Keeping ox or oxen uh, takes great effort and takes a lot of sacrifice and can be a bit sort of messy. Um, and I've sort of been thinking about how that sort of relates to me. That verse has come to mind a lot this year for me and, and maybe there's um, things, uh, there's hard ground in, in my life and maybe in yours that we're trying to, trying to break up. And we'll come back to that one. But I just want to pray before we get into it. Uh, dear Lord, I just want to thank you for 
for today and for us all to be together in your house. Um, I just pray that today we would open our hearts to let you, Jesus, be the, the great ox in our life who, who does the work. Um, and I just pray that through today, through the worship, through communion, through this message, um, that we would have a refreshing of our relationship with you and our relationship with others, and that even relationships that are strained or, or broken would be restored in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So talking about relationships, um, there's uh, so many stories recorded of, of Jesus in the gospel that um, talks about him interacting with others, but one that comes to mind that really stand, stands out to me uh, is the story of two sisters living in a little town called Bethany. That's Mary and Martha, which is recorded in the Gospel of, of Luke. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that that occurs after Jesus sends out the 72 disciples and then they come back. And then he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then it's just a tiny little story at the end of the chapter. And I'll just read it to you. It's on the, the screen here. It says... As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself, tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not, and it will not be taken away from her. Here we have Jesus on a journey with his disciples, and he's um, on his way up to Jerusalem and he's stopping off in that little town, Bethany, which is about two kilometres, I think, from, from Jerusalem. Uh, and we have um, Martha opening up his, her house to, to Jesus and we have Mary and Martha responding really differently to, to that sort of dinner party. You know, we have Martha, who was probably the older sister. Um, she was probably... A lot of scholars think she was probably a widow, given that it was her house, and it was really unusual for a woman in that time to, to have a home. Um, she opens up her house to Jesus. She attempts to demonstrate uh, hospitality and making preparations, getting organized, you know, doing the cooking, doing the cleaning. I don't know anything about all that sort of stuff, but they all seem like really good things to, to sort of to be a blessing to her guests. Um, and she probably felt that was, that was right, that that was what she was meant to do, what good hosts should do when you invite someone to your house. But then on the other side, you have Mary, the younger sister, and she does the complete opposite. She doesn't do any of the preparation. She doesn't get busy or think about the food or what are we going to drink. She, it says she just sits and listens at Jesus' feet. And that in itself is a really uh, strange thing because thinking about women in that time, uh, you would not see a woman sitting at the feet of a teacher or a rabbi. That would be reserved for the disciples, for Jesus' buddies. You know, I wonder if, if they're there 
at the dinner party and looking at Mary and thinking, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're not meant to be there. And yet, you know, Jesus defends her and accepts her and um, opens his teaching and, and, and really greets her. Um, and see, Mary is really taken up by that. She's absorbed into being with Jesus and doesn't really have any other care or interest. She's, she's not thinking about what the disciples are thinking. She's, she's not thinking that, gee, it's odd, you know, it's, I'm out of place. She's just there. And she's certainly um, not thinking about Martha and all the preparations going on. She's just there to listen. Now, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was a youth leader here, um, and we, we used to do these crazy nights with um, really just big, outlandish games. Because, um, you know, when you're a youth leader, you know, and trying to put things on for youth, you can't just play a board game. You have to play a giant board game. You know, it has to be fun, it has to be engaging. And there was, there was one night where we decided that we were going to do giant battleship. So we got... Uh, Georgie's grandma to um, sew you know, about 20 of these sheets. We got them from op shops around the place to create a giant sheet that actually covered up this entire room from, from one wall to another. And we had just suspended between two poles and that was fantastic. Um, and I remember doing all these preparations of these nights, you know, getting ready and getting organised and just thinking if I was a youth, that would be hilarious. That would be heaps fun. You know, that would be great. Um, but I remember, you know, getting caught up in all those organisational things, all those preparations. Um, I remember, you know, it's five o'clock and the kids are going to be here soon and, you know, this isn't done, that's not done, we've got to get it done, you know, and, and starting to think, these other guys, you know, they're not doing their job, what are they doing? I mean, truth be told, you know, it was me and a couple of the other guys and we probably weren't the most organised uh, leadership group going around, but, um, you know, I felt that, pressure to get things done, you know, to start to do it myself, to really um, take control and, you know, that, that led me to, you know, to, to question others and to think of, you know, what are they, how are they doing? Why are they, you know, mucking around in the back having a laugh and I'm here doing this? What's going on? You know, um, you know, I got, I got distracted too. So in that story, you know, Martha, Martha was trying to be a good hostess. She's um, showing hospitality you know, her goal was to be a blessing to her guests. But she became distracted and she missed the point that um, real hospitality is about showing attention to your guests. It's about listening and attending to them. Um, that's the most important part. I mean, she had good intentions, but she missed the point. And these distractions, you know, they turn to worry, they turn to stress, like me in those youth nights, and it even turns to anger, and eventually an outburst where she, she accuses her sister and even Jesus. You know, I've got a photo here of an artist impression. Didn't have iPhones back then to take the photo, so this is just a bit of an impression. But you can see Martha on the, uh, on the left here pointing down at Mary, you know, why aren't you helping me? You know, Lord, don't you care? You can feel her frustration and anger. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, when I was reading this story initially, preparing for, for today, I, um, I really resonate with Martha. You know, I really, I, I felt that anger. I felt that frustration. You know, I, I wanted to call this um, message, Martha gets a bad rap because um, 
everyone, you know, whenever you read Mary and Martha or listen to messages on this, it's always about how Mary got it so right and Martha got it so wrong. Um, you know, but I, I, feel, I feel that frustration. And maybe you feel that too, that, um, you know, Martha was so focused on her actions and abilities. I mean, despite her intentions being good, her priorities were sort of out of order. And that led to an outburst, to anger, to worry, and to disorder. But Jesus responded gracefully, not by telling Martha off or having a go back at her or saying, what are you doing? You know, but he told the truth in love. He told her that Mary chose what is better. He recognized that Mary was more aware of him, of Jesus, than she was of anything else. She was more aware of Jesus than anyone else in the room, than any expectation, than anything she was meant to do. She was just more aware of him. And Jesus sort of really is inviting Martha. You know, he's saying, Mary's chosen the good thing, and you can choose that too. You can come and sit and listen. See, Mary chose to listen to Jesus, to sit with Jesus, to experience him and be absorbed in his presence. And Martha missed the point. And so I guess today I'm, I'm thinking, and think, uh, in, in, I guess in reflecting on your own relationships and, and where you're at, have you missed the point? Yeah, this story was about two sisters being pulled apart by their convictions between choosing to do what is expected, what you're meant to do, what a, you know, Martha is meant to be a good host, you know, and then doing what is right from a godly perspective. Are you experiencing that conflict? Being pulled between giving and acting in a way that you think you're meant to do, that is expected, but was, or doing what you actually need to do. Maybe you've experienced this with um, a sibling or a partner or friends uh, or your family or work colleagues. Maybe you felt like saying, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that you're letting me do all the work and they get to go off and do something else? I don't know. See, doing relationships, there we go, doing relationships from the world's perspective pulls you towards the world. You become more about people pleasing, more about keeping up a good image, meeting those expectations, those things you think that's what I'm meant to do. It's, you know, it leads you to worry about what others think. And like Martha, this can lead to disorder and this can lead to anger. See, Martha was trying to do it all herself. She chose to focus on what she could do. And I think that's why I really, um, I really, I guess, feel that, you know, that sense of I'm, I'm trying to get it right. You know, that sense of I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do the right thing. It can be really powerful. And if um, motivated by worry or anxiety, it can really have um, devastating consequences in your relationships. Um, I work as a, a physio in a hospital, uh, the Lyle Mac down the road, and um, a lot of the time our, our job involves uh, helping people 
get moving again and uh, walk and get going after, say, a, a surgery or having a stroke or, or being really unwell. And um, I remember a time recently where I saw someone in uh, intensive care who was really sick and starting to get better and she was there with some family members and um, they were there supporting this person and wanting to be there for them, um, just trying to trying to be there through a really difficult time and we've I've come around and you know, st- all right let's let's get going let's move let, let's try and get up and 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 the the family there could see that this was this was difficult this was hard for them it was causing them a bit of pain and um the family members you know they they had really good intentions they wanted to care for the sick person and seeing that what I was doing was making them be a bit distress and being uncomfortable they said no stop stop don't get involved you know leave them alone you know just let them rest just let them rest um but we know that you know getting moving again is is a really important part of of recovery and and getting better and so that you know the family they wanted to do the right thing they wanted to help the person they wanted to be there for this this sick person but actually them interfering them getting involved um could actually be harmful because it stopped them you know, from getting going and getting moving. And it makes me think of um, another example of, of my, my life. And I've got a bit of a photo here. That's um, two strangers. You probably have no idea who they would be. Um, they're my, my parents. Um, and that's a photo from uh, my uni graduation, which is about, I think, four or five years ago now. Um, and I'll be honest, I really... Uh, didn't enjoy that day at all. I thought it was a huge waste of time and couldn't wait to get out of there because I think, I don't know, the idea of sitting in a place for four or five hours just for 20 seconds of thank you, yep, all right, see you later. Like, just, um, just, I just wanted to be at work. But I didn't really appreciate it at all and um, probably now I see that you know, that sort of day can be a pretty significant day. It can be like a landmark moment and, and not everyone gets to go to a uni graduation. So I probably appreciate that day now and Similarly, as, as I've grown older and um, got married myself, I've, I've sort of started to uh, admire and, and appreciate my parents more as I get a bit older. Um, but, you know, I can't, I can't really say anything bad about my parents, and, and that's because they're here. You know, if they weren't here... Um, no, I'm just, just kidding. Um, you know, my parents were great. They were loving, they were kind, they were wonderful. They were great parents. Um, and... You know, I growing up, I never saw them argue or, or fight. Um, they were just so good at, at communicating and, and keeping things together. Um, but that, what that meant for me growing up, was that um, I felt that a successful marriage, a, a good marriage, meant that you didn't fight. It meant that you didn't argue and you didn't have any big disagreements or big conflicts. Um, and, uh, and that's because I just never saw them fight all those years growing up. And I think, you know, that's something like 32 years of marriage. I've still never heard them yell at each other, which is unbelievable. Um, but that idea, that, that idea of, of a successful or an ideal marriage was powerful. Um, and the effect that it had on me and, and then in my marriage is that, you know, it, that's, that's what I wanted to try and emulate, that we don't fight, we don't argue. You know, we've got to keep the, the, the conflict to a minimum, you know, um, which is all a good thing. That's a good intention, I think. Um, but probably not 
not really um, successful or, or, or accurate or achievable really um, because what it produced in me was a desire to control and to keep my thoughts and feelings hidden if it meant we were going to have some conflict. Um, it meant that I wouldn't show or deal with things openly. I would keep my real inner thoughts hidden. You know, and that created its own problems. I mean, Georgie would say, I never know what's going on with you. I, you know, I had no idea you were stressed. I, I didn't know that you were going through a tough time. Um, see, I, I was really trying to control things myself. I was really trying to keep it all together so that we wouldn't have uh, an argument or a disagreement because I believed that's what a successful marriage looked like. You know, I was trying to be the, the ox. I was trying to do the work myself to, to keep things together um, and to keep things clean. Um, a bit like Martha, really. In, um, in Romans uh, chapter 10, Paul talks about this. And he talks about true righteousness that comes by faith in contrast to doing it all yourself. I'll read it on the slide here. It says that Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess that you uh, profess your faith and are saved. See, Paul is talking about righteousness. That's right living that comes by faith versus the, the righteousness that comes by doing it through the law. So the Jewish people uh, in Jesus' time, they believed in following the law. That's the commandments that God gave. And that meant doing every single thing um, to achieve the law. In essence, they believed in control. They believed in their effort. They believed in if we did these things, that would lead to salvation. It's a belief in control and effort. But we know that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So by saying who will ascend into heaven and bring Christ to earth or who will descend into the deep and resurrect Christ from the dead. Paul is contrasting these superhuman efforts with attempting to follow the law. Yeah, he's saying it's impossible. You, know, you, you can't go into heaven and you can't go down into the depths. It can't be done. And likewise, trying to achieve the law and do all those things and control yourself, control your behavior, control your feelings, control your thoughts, it's impossible. But it's also not needed because God has already done those things. God did bring Christ to earth and 
Christ lived his ministry where he was um, perfect and fulfilled the law. And after his death, God did bring him back from the dead. And it says that when we confess that Jesus is our saviour and we believe that Jesus did those things, we will be saved. But the key is choice. See, it said in that verse before that Mary has chosen uh, what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The key is choice. We have to choose to follow Jesus. We have to choose righteousness by faith, not by works, not by controlling or by human effort. We can't believe in Jesus and confess he is Lord and our Saviour but then hold on to the control of our lives and continue to focus on doing what we can do. We have to let go. Choosing Jesus, it means that we do relationships from God's perspective and that results in that it pulls us towards God. It's God-pleasing. See, no longer is it about superhuman efforts. No longer is it about trying to do it all yourself and control everything yourself. Like me, you know, trying to not say those things or, or hide your thoughts and feelings, trying to manage someone or something. You know, it's about, it's about believing in and trusting in Jesus and letting him do the work, not ourselves. And it's real righteousness. It's real righteousness by faith because when we experience that, we experience real love. And that love is God-pleasing. And that is because we experience that. It's because of the real love and we're responding to that. And Mary and Martha comes up again uh, in another gospel in, in John. And Mary shows us this, that responding to being with Jesus produces God-like action and God-like love. In John 12, it says that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Side note, Mary and Martha, brother to Lazarus, forgot to say that. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour, and Martha served. And while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I mean, you could hear this story and you could see Judas' point of view. I mean, isn't blessing the poor a good thing? even a godly thing. And just like the first story of of Mary and Martha, showing hospitality, it's a godly thing, right? It's, It's the right thing to do. And yet, 
Jesus defends Mary's actions here. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. So Jesus is getting that. It's a question of priorities. Jesus shows us that being with him is above the poor or above hospitality or above finance. Following Jesus and spending time with him puts into order all of life's priorities. The first story of Mary and Martha and Luke, I I said it, it occurs after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you're familiar with that story, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that go on there um, with people passing by, uh, someone who's been beaten up and left for dead. Um, and I think that's on purpose, that Mary and Martha comes after that parable. Because I think what the writer's trying to highlight is that there's so many needs in the world to get caught up on to be interested in, to be distracted by. There's so many needs, and many of them are good and honourable things. But Jesus has to be first. It has to be the righteousness that comes by faith, not in our own effort. And it has to be relationships done with a godly perspective. And you may have many needs. Maybe, maybe it's your children and, and how you're parenting. Maybe that's causing you to worry. Maybe you're concerned. How are they going to turn out? That's what I wonder when we have kids one day. How are they going to turn out? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're trying so hard to get this person to be a certain way, to do a certain thing, and it's just not working out. Maybe it's a friendship. But Jesus has to come before them all in order for our priorities to align with his in uh, this story in John, uh, where Mary takes the perfume and anoints Jesus and washes his feet with her hair, that's actually um, something that's really, really special. And you can probably part, read through that and think, okay, yeah, it's a bit weird, all right, but okay, great. Washing feet, it was dusty in that time, I get it. Um, but you know, Mary, she recognised the Passover was coming. She probably understood that this might be the last time she sees Jesus before his death. I mean, like Jesus said, that perfume was meant for the day of his burial. And that perfume worth something like a year's wages, you know, a lot of money. I think it's over 300 denarii, which is you know, a lot of money in that time. Um, that, that perfume was most likely Mary's marriage dowry. I mean, how else would a, a single woman have a perfume that was so expensive a really uh, extraordinary extravagant gift you know to give her marriage dowry and see that's um, a really special thing because that that represents the gift that she would give to her husband on her wedding day Um, and so in essence uh, by Mary anointing Jesus feet by, by using that perfume in this story Excuse me. She's actually saying, I'm letting go of the chance to get married. I'm letting go of the, the opportunity to be married, to have children, to, to do what I'm expected to do. She's saying that being with you, Jesus, is better. Um, some scholars and commentaries have said, you know, to give the dowry is to give the dream. 
You know, she's sacrificing all her rights, all her uh, expectation to marry, all her chance to marry. She's giving that away because she recognized that she might not see Jesus again. She might not have a chance to spend time with him again. You know, she's saying that being with you, Jesus, is better. And this act of sacrifice and devotion, that mirrors the ultimate act of sacrifice and devotion that Jesus displayed on the cross when he gave himself to die. You know, being with Jesus, being in his presence, produced in Mary the same love, the same devotion and the same sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. It was through giving up her life and devoting herself to Jesus that she became like him. Now I've, um, I've been blessed to experience many relationships with others um, in my life where people showed me genuine love and sacrifice, where people gave up for me, where people who, who, um, who put in work in me and invited me into their lives and it drew me closer to Jesus. I've got some embarrassing photos to show. I'm going to go through really quick. No, there's some people from, you know, plenty of people here today, um, people that have, some people have come and gone, but people that have really put in to me, that really drew me closer to God. And that's because, like Mary did, you know, it says um, in Psalm, what does that say? Sorry, I'll read it here. That, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup and you make my lot secure. You know, people who chose Jesus as their portion, like Mary, who chose that Jesus has got to be first and that, that made their life and their lot secure. They were then able to be a blessing to me. See, choosing Jesus first, it helps us to be like Jesus and then that means that we can be Jesus to others when we choose Jesus and we spend time with him we become like him and our priorities align with his and we satisfy the need of our heart to control or the need of our heart to meet what we're meant to do and when we do that we can become so much more than what we could have been without him when we choose the good portion and spend time with him and spend time in prayer, spend time reading his word, spend time worshipping him, you know, we become like him. We become like Jesus. And that might look like many things. It might be submitting to his ways. It might be working to his priorities, using your time differently, using your talents differently, but for his purpose. We become Christ-like to our families and our partners, our friends, even our work colleagues or people on the street and out in the world. So going back to that verse I talked about at the start um, in Proverbs, you know, Martha tried to be the great ox. And I've tried to be that too. You know, and maybe you've tried to be that. Maybe you've tried to do all these things from you know, an idea of what you're meant to do. You know, maybe you had thoughts about your marriage or, or other relationships, how you thought they would turn out, how I've got, to, I've got to make it look like that. But today I want to encourage you to let Jesus be the great ox. 
to devote yourself to Jesus, to put your relationship with him first ahead of all others and to let him do the great work of your heart, to change you, to be like him so you can demonstrate genuine love, sacrifice and devotion. The band want to um, come up and get prepared. I asked in, in prayer about um, restoring uh, your relationship with Christ and restoring your relationship with others, refreshing and restoring. And I appreciate that this is a big thing, that relationships are really hard, that things might have gone wrong or maybe things just didn't turn out how you thought. But I'm saying today that we need to devote ourselves to Jesus to let him restore, to let him refresh, to let him do the work in your heart and then in others. So I just want to invite us now as a chance to to come down and to, to receive him in prayer, to receive that righteousness that is by faith, that if you've tried to do it yourself like I was, if you've tried to be it all and do it all yourself in your own strength, that now's the chance to let go of that, to accept Christ and to live by faith in him. So I want to encourage you, whether or not you know Jesus or not, that now's the chance to come down, that myself and others will, will be here ready to pray with you and accept you um, as we go into a time of worship. I just want to encourage you to have that chance. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll, um, we'll sing and we'll go from there. So dear Lord, thank you so much that you refresh and that you restore. Thank you so much for your goodness, that you are the God that who is, is almighty and all-powerful, that you want to meet your people here this morning, that you want to help us to be like you. And I just pray that you work right now, Holy Spirit, in the people's hearts, that you would draw the people to you, God, that you would soften our hearts and let Jesus be the central thing in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.